I have cancer, I said to myself silently. But I wasn't sure I believed it yet, and I already guessed how much harder it would be to say it out loud. Nothing, I thought, would be the same from now on. I picked up the telephone and dialed my wife Margaret in the country. I have cancer. There, for the first time, I had said aloud the phrase that would soon become familiar when talking to friends or with doctors, technicians, and nurses. The words created a kind of dread, heavy silence, which neither one of us seemed eager to break. How do you feel? Margaret's voice was trembling slightly as if she were on the verge of tears. I feel okay, I said cautiously. No different than I did before the news. I guess that will change. Lots of people survive prostate cancer, I said, striving for a confident tone. It's slow growing. There are a lot of things they can do. Don't worry, I said as firmly as I could, conscious that I was whistling in the dark. Everything's going to be fine. We hung up and I stared out the window at a bright autumn afternoon. I had not convinced Margaret for a moment that everything was going to be fine. As a matter of fact, I didn't believe a word of it myself. I left my office and went downstairs to one of the big bookstores in Rockefeller Center and browsed glumly through the health medicine section. I could find only two books— one a jaunty personal memoir called My Prostate and Me by William Martin, with a smiling photograph of the author on the cover, looking healthy and presumably cured. The other, a somewhat more daunting volume by Stephen N. Roos, M.D., called The Prostate Book. That's Roos, R-O-U-S. There was a pretty girl behind the cash register who might have given me a flirtatious smile if I'd handed over three racy novels. It was the middle of the afternoon and there weren't many customers to keep her busy. But one glance at the titles of my purchases and her face turned to stone as she rang them up. She managed to take my credit card without making eye contact. My choice of books clearly marked me as somebody bearing bad news, either my own or somebody else's. I went back to the office and spent the rest of the afternoon telling the news to those few friends and close colleagues who I thought absolutely had to know. One of my closest friends, a CEO, warned me when it was already too late not to tell anyone at work. You'll see, he said. They'll write you off. Don't say I didn't warn you. That thought hadn't crossed my mind. But once he had put it there, it stayed, depressing me even further. This, I was to discover, is in fact a serious problem for a lot of men. Cancer can spell the end of a career on top of all its other horrors. By the time I'd broken the news to perhaps half a dozen people, I was exhausted, both by their emotions and my own. Once I was on the way home, I was tempted to sleep, but decided not to put off my reading. If I had been under any illusion about the gravity of the news, Dr. Roos's book would have dispelled it. Roos, a distinguished urologist, did not pull his punches. The words incontinence, impotence, and death seemed to proliferate in the text and the index, though they were overshadowed by the illustrations reproduced in sharp detail and remarkably high quality. I carefully studied an X-ray of a skeleton showing, quote, a strongly positive bone scan due to an extensive spread of the cancer of the prostate, unquote then moved on with a rapidly sinking heart to pictures of biopsy needles, an artificial urinary sphincter, and a penile prosthesis. The full weight of the word spread, as in, quote, spread beyond the prostate, unquote, or, quote, spread to the bone, unquote, dawned on me, as did the importance of the tests Kathy had urged me to schedule as soon as possible. I had not until now given serious thought to the subject of death, but Dr. Roos brought it home to me with cool clinical understatement as the train took me home. I stared out at the autumn foliage at its blazing peak. It occurred to me that I might not be around to see it the next year.
I tried to think if there had been any signs of cancer I'd ignored or repressed, but on the spur of the moment I could think of nothing significant, unless it was a certain amount of fatigue over the past year or so, a feeling that I tired more easily than in the past and needed more rest. That, as I was to discover, is perhaps the most sinister fact about prostate cancer. In most cases, there are no warning symptoms, no pain, no discomfort, nothing that would sound an alarm to even the most careful of hypochondriacs. Prostate cancer creeps up on its victims silently, often striking men who appear to be 100% fit and healthy, like me. I skipped to the end of Dr. Roos's book, I would read it with considerably more attention later, and decided that I didn't want to know about further complications of prostate surgery just at the moment. After all, as yet, I didn't know if surgery was called for. It might not be necessary, I told myself optimistically. Dr. Roos's book had sections on radiation, hormone treatments, and watchful waiting, essentially doing nothing and keeping an eye on the PSA at regular intervals, which had a deaf...